Ladies and gentlemen, what is going on? It is your boy, Joel Cupcake. I have to say that now just because Defonce has been trying to show me consistently because I say that a lot, apparently. So it's me. I'm back. What's going on? We got another episode of Joel Cupcake Unedited with uh, Nick Arthur is back to, again to join us. I'll pop him in here in a second. Um, I just want to let you guys know this is the 20th episode, so we have some some interesting things, some cool shit in store for you. Um, but before we get started on that, uh, be sure to subscribe down below. I got a bunch of new subscribers in the last week or so. I really appreciate that, so thank you. Um, I'm also going to be transferring the audio from all the episodes to you know an MP3 format and uploading everything to a podcast as well. Um, I know not everyone is a YouTube fanatic these days. Um, I know watching is more is more requires more attention span than listening and podcasts are kind of a big thing and sean mott and a couple of other guys really kind of pushed me towards that idea and you know i want especially for like these interview segments i want people to be able to hear what we're doing and like what i got going on so um sometime in the next week and a half i know itunes takes forever to upload this stuff so it'll all be online i'll be talking about it in a future episode and if you follow the facebook page which is just joel cupcake unedited uh, or me on any of my socials, I'll also mention it on there. Um, anyways, so let's get started. Nick, what's up, brother? Hi, glad to be back. You are back. Uh, everybody, this is this is part two. So technically, uh, you know, this is my 20th episode, which is not a big deal to a lot of people, but this was just a crazy idea I had one night in the middle of the night. And uh, I've really liked the way it's grown. I have some people that dig it. I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. I really like the opportunity that people have gotten to get to know some of my best friends in the music industry and whatnot. Uh, when I hit up Nick to be my guest, originally it wasn't even the 20th episode. We talked like we talked like a month ago about this and it just scheduling and lining it up. And Nick was like, well, can I ask you some questions? And I was like, well, shit. And then the skinny broke down, the skinny came, you know, times happened, shit went crazy. Here's Nick. And he's a 20, it's a 20th episode. So I was like, you know what, Nick, let's just make it two parts. Have you back on again? And you can ask me whatever you want. So Nick has a slew of questions prepared for me, correct, sir? Yeah, I got some some nice talking points. Ooh, some talking points, huh? <laughs> okay. Well, uh, yeah, Nick has those for me. Um, so that's what we're going to do today, everybody. Um, you know, I know some of my history was already covered in some of the solo episodes I did at the beginning of the show. Um, hopefully this goes into a little bit more detail than those. Um, I talk a lot. Uh, I, I'm kind of repetitive and I like the sound of my own voice. If you haven't fucking figured that out yet. Um, so if you hear it, if this is the second time you've heard any of this, I'm sorry. Uh, if it's not, then sick. Thanks for checking it out. Yeah. I don't think uh, a little refresher ever hurt anybody. Wait, what? I don't think a little refresher ever hurt anybody. Oh, no, 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 not at all. I mean. I mean, I know I've been getting more and more followers from people that I don't recognize, you know, are like subscriptions. Sorry, I shouldn't say followers. Wrong social media platform. You know, trying to keep trying to trying to stay concurrent with the times and what platform I'm on. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the first video that we did, um, I'm sure that there's people that know me that tuned in or listened mm -hmm. to hear what I had to say, but they're probably like, who the fuck is Joel Cupcake? Who is this guy? And why is Nick doing, you know, an interview or like a podcast with him? So let's start there by telling people who you are and what you do. Okay. Well, um, if you didn't poke around any of the other episodes or, you know, dig deep dive into my social medias, 
Um, I'm a concert promoter out here in California, and I'm also an artist manager. Um, where, where in California? Uh, I'm. I live currently in Monterey. Um, I started doing shows in the Santa Cruz area and then expanded into the San Jose area. And fast forward 15 years, and now we do shows all over the whole state of California. So Dang. literally everywhere. Yeah, there's like a team of like roughly like 30 of us. And then if you incorporate like the other, we have a couple of promoters that we like team up with, with events on. You know, we like partner up with a lot of the show, the events at 1720 in LA, um, the Arcphonic productions people out in like the Fresno Bakersfield Central Valley area and then the Sonoma County middle hardcore folks up in the North Bay. So like we have a lot of like partners, you know, we do a little bit of work with Chad from Bitcrusher in Sacramento as well. So, you know, if you add all that up, you know, there's almost probably 40 or 50 of us all working together. You know, I mean, of course it's everyone's in their, their specific city or scene or whatever, but, um, yeah, so I do that, and then uh, I'm we're in, we have, you know Penup also has an artist management division that started a few years ago. Uh, we have about we have about like 25 to 30 artists on that um, right now. Is there's a lot of bands kind of on like hiatus and taking a break right now because of I mean no one nobody can tour nobody can do shit. So right, yeah, music industry yeah. is shot and struggling right very, now. It was very shot, and I talked about that like my second episode like talks about some of the effect and what I think is going to happen and some of that nonsense. So people can go back and check that out. Um, but yeah, people are, people are definitely chomping at the bit to get back. And I think that, I mean, I've even seen somebody like, Hey, I'm going to throw a house show for free. The only charge is that you're going to have to wear a face mask. So people are like really wanting to yeah. like, just, I mean, I just want to, I just want to kick somebody. I just want to mosh a little bit, you know, I want to, yeah. I want to see some live music, but, um, but yeah, you get a pretty extensive network. I didn't even realize that it was that big covering all of California. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like within the last couple of years, you know, about four years ago, uh, Dave Forrester, um, sorry, Dave Forrester. It's really hard to not say that R that's not in his last name. Uh, he moved down to Southern California um, with, the, with the goal of expanding pinup. And also he was with the lady at the time that he's no longer with, unfortunately, but whatever. Um, and he decided to expand the company down there. And like, I was like, you know, like this is a fucking gamble. Like that's like the most competitive music scene in America, short of maybe New York city and like Texas, you know what I mean? Just cause there's so many venues and shows and clubs yeah. and promoters, you know? And so I was like, well, let's see if we can do this. Let's see if we can make it happen. And Dave went down there, you know, he found Clarissa and Connor and the rest of the team he's got down there and they've done a fucking phenomenal job. Um, like, and so I was like, shit, maybe we can do this other places, you know? Um, we started talking to people in other towns, you know, we had a brief little soiree into like the San Luis Obispo, Obispo Paso Robles area. Fortunately, their venues didn't really stand the test of time out there. So um, we might be doing some stuff out there when shows like come back. But as of right now, we don't have anything planned. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then, you know, within the last two years, we've expanded out to Fresno and Bakersfield and those places. And it's been fucking going great. I mean, I think we did... 19 shows in Fresno in 2019 and I think seven, 16 or 17 of them sold out. Yeah. Those inland California shows yeah. always go off. I used yeah, to exactly. Modesto, Fresno, Bakersfield. Yeah. yeah. People are like, Oh, you do shows there. And I'm like, yeah, but like they don't have that, the, the consistent access that like Sacramento yeah. and the other markets have. So like kids are so fucking genuine. And mm -hmm. then also out there, it's a lot less like, 
clicky, you know, like yeah. sometimes it's not cool to go support certain bands or like only one specific genre of metalcore is in and out there. Like they just are like, fuck yeah, these bands are here. Let's fucking party. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean, which obviously works out in my favor because I love the fucking party. Yeah. <laughs> they don't get hit as much. So they're definitely like more hyped when they get something. I yeah, feel like that's, that's like, like going to Europe. When, when an American band goes to Europe, they lose their mind because not a lot of bands cross the pond, at least early on in their careers. Once they're yeah. a little more established, they you know it's a once a year kind of thing. But yeah, well, yeah. I'm, like, I'm like I love it. Like I'm a big fan of like you know I've never been overseas, but even even just like the few times I went with like small bands like fucking you know Arsenis get all the girls mm-hmm. before they like had really like achieved very much success. Like going to bands like that to Canada was like just the people there in Canada, their response was like, they were just so fucking appreciative. You know what I mean? Like same, same way in Mexico too, dude, we played TJ Tijuana one time. mm -hmm. Like I think the show was pushed back so late. We ended up playing, we were like, we're on tour with fallen figure and we played at like 1am or like 2am and the kids just went ape shit. They knew all the words. It was crazy. That's fucking tight. Yeah. All right. I never wanted to go down there for a show. Actually. That's like, like, just like in all the touring we did, you know, cause like there's, it's been subtle on and off of like, is it safe to go there or not? Mm-hmm. And then like, there's only a few promoters and it's like every three years, it's like one of the three Mex- Mexico promoters that pops up seems to be, Oh, well like they flew so-and-so down, but they ripped them off. So like now he's not an yeah. option. You so got to deal, like, deal with the people from San Diego. You got to talk to San Diego people and find out who is cool and TJ because they're usually the ones that are like a little more tighter knit. Yeah, they know true. they know what's what down there so yeah that's a fair point yeah about that yeah so what what uh what got you into this i want i mean i want to like get into your industry background and stuff like that but like what that's not important you you asked me like uh you know what got me how what was it like growing up like how did i get into metal and hardcore how did how did you get into all this so I, I was raised like very, very Catholic, like very proper. Come from like a very proper family. Um, yeah, big same. Yeah, I uh, I got into like, you know, I grew up listening to like Journey, uh, ACDC, uh, Jethro Tull, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So my dad was like rock and roll and like metal was cool with him. Like they didn't really get it per se, um, but they were fine with it. You know what I mean? Oh, there he is, that handsome devil. Um. You know, and then uh, I went through this, like, I got into a cool, like, I discovered rock, and then, like, I discovered third wave ska, and, like, first wave ska, you know what I mean? Which a lot of people, you know, when I first got into high school, that's what I listened to, was, like, ska. did you skate? Did I skate? No, no. So I come from, like, (laughs) I will call Santa Cruz the skate capital of the world at one point. Yeah, yeah. At one point, I would say, yeah, I I was, at one point in time, I would say it gave, like, LA is a run for its money is like, like, you know, everybody that skateboarded knew, knew where Santa Cruz was and mm-hmm. knew about it. I wanted to fucking go there just like for a while. It was a hotbed for shows too. You know, everybody right. came through the 831. That's not the point. Um, I did not skate or surf. I'm a total fucking West coast poser, dude. Like I don't even like to smoke weed. So I don't know what the fuck I'm doing here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I did all that. Long story short, I, I found my way into like I listened to TSOL, the True Sounds of Liberty. Yeah, and, and I got into like you know they had like that gothic tinge a little bit. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Yep. So I got into like Nine Inch Nails, which is my favorite band of all time. 
you know, and then I started discovering kind of like, oh, I like like ska and punk and I, I like this like gothic tinge. And then like plop right in my lap came this band from California called the fucking the nerve agents. Mm -hmm. And that band just was like, boom, kick my like I, I fucking loved it, dude. Like I love like that band changed like really changed my my fascination with music. You know what I mean? And so um, my junior year of high school, I actually went on an exchange trip to France for a summer. I was there for a whole a whole month. So the summer before, my, was it before or after my junior year? I think it was before my junior year. I went and I had a huge fucking crush on this chick that was on the plane with me. Like she had the total black and white striped Beetlejuice shirt, like the little fucking, the bangs with like the hair down. You know, you know the look. And she was like, part of this same program with you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and like I, I had already kind of met her because we had like one or two classes together, and we went, went on that trip together. Mm -hmm. And then like she actually wore a nerve agent shirt one one day, and I was like, "What the fuck, dude?" <laughs> and so like, of course, I, I, I was like such a little wussy back then. I, I like never, we never, we were just friends. I never even like told her that I was into her. But um, <sighs> one day no, we were like, knows. "She'll never." He's taken. It. He's taken. Don't message him. Yeah. Yes. Leave me the fuck alone. Um, <laughs> Uh, fucking, and then one day we're on the plane and like, or no, was it on the plane? I don't fucking remember. We were somewhere. I think we were on the train, like going to the next part of France because we went. We basically it's been like a week per in in each area of France right. that we were in, pretty much. Okay. So we were on the train, and I that was the day she wore her nerve agent shirt, and I was like, "Yo, I fucking love that band." Like blah 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 blah. blah. And like at that point in time, I had like you know I'd listened to a little bit of metal, like I'd heard Slipknot, I'd heard like the popular bands. But like the people I hung out with were all like weird, like whatever old hipsters would have been, or like mm -hmm. skater people. So yeah. like all I really listened to was punk, and then like like a little bit of like you know the terrible generic thrash metal bands. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and then so she was like, "Well, you should check this band out." She showed me Poison the Well. Oh, sick! And that band just like just that was it you know? and you just started swinging your arms i heard so she showed me opposite of december yeah. and then from there i went and i checked out like you know for world's collapse by as they dying um i got into bloodlust by through the eyes of the dead like so i was like a yeah. little bit of a late bloomer in the metalcore scene you know what i mean yeah uh, but it was like weird because i listened to all that stuff like i went you know and then, like, you know, I'm from the same town as fucking Taste of Poor Taste of Blood's from, Animosity is yeah. from the Bay. I got into all that stuff and I was like, this is sick. But like, some of it was like, you know, I had to be in a mood to listen to. And then um, I saw her. This was obviously, you know, I saw two years of the high school. And I bumped into her one day and she was, you know, I was telling her, like, oh, yo, like, you changed my fucking life showing me that music. Like, that was so tight, blah, 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 blah you know? And then um, she mentioned to me that like, oh, you know, like, I don't know if you checked out the next, the newest album from Poison the Well, because not a lot of people are fans of that. And that was like, yeah. this was like before Spotify and all that stuff. You know what I mean? So you like iTunes had just started. So you really had to like dig to find stuff still. But I ended up, I had, you know, I that's around the time I started to get to know the arsonist guys and some of those dudes. So like I found somebody, long story short, I heard Tear from the Red by Poison the Well. I found that record and I was hooked already, but that album changed my fucking life. Yeah. Because like I, I had never been a dude like I I grew up listening to like like heavy rock bands where there's no screaming. Right. You know what I mean? But then like so I hear Tear from the Red and they've got the cleans. And then like that was just like that was when I was like that was metalcore for life at that point in time. Oh, like yeah. just got the claws in me, like 
that the you know the fiction we live by from autumn to ashes mm -hmm. you know this is love this is murder by bleeding through um burned alive by time by evergreen terrace uh you know past the flask by the bled like those are the records that really like just grab me and shape me like hot damn by every time I die. This you is know? why we get along. I feel like because those are you, you literally named all the same records that really roped me in, brought me yeah. in. Pass the flask was huge. Obviously, yeah. Evergreen Terrace. Let's that. just talk about that for a second. The bled is like, you know, people say Misery Signals is the most underappreciated band of all time, but every time they do reunion shows, people give a shit. Like the bled was that band that like I just feel like they never made it. But if if people, all these people that like what's popular now, if they heard the bled, they'd be like, "This band's fucking incredible." Yeah, like, I feel like that was huge. It, it, it was, like, it, it didn't, was, but then it, it turned into really like, "Oh, it. that's like artsy metalcore," and like yeah. nobody liked it. And I'm like, "What?" I'm like, "I'm like," because their record after it wasn't any different. They they got a little weirder after the, the, this third record. You know what yeah, I mean? Like the Great American Hero or something. Great American. Yeah, Cowboy I didn't like that record, but the the second. The record directly after Pass the Flask was like a logical. It was like you know when Poison the Well went from uh, Tear from the Red to um, You Come Before You. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It, it was like that kind of transition. But like, dude, Pass the Flask, like that album to this day stands the test of time. Like, hands down, one of my top five records right. of all time in metalcore. You know, and then sure. so like I got into that, and then like I was trying to find the niche, and then like I found fucking, and then through all that somebody was like i it's funny because now i'm this person somebody hit me with the like you've never heard norma jean and like you remember you remember cameron from arsonist right yeah yeah the old singer he was a dude he so uh, i was raised catholic like i said and, and like when i when i met him in high school it was awesome because like i had did, i didn't really have any friends that liked the same music i did for, in like the metal world that also believed in god or had an upbringing that was confusing to be into this. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. And like Cameron was like, dude, there's Christian metalcore bands. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, get the, you're, you're, get out of here. And so he, he was like, and then he, he, you know, he was him and a few of my other friends are like, you've never heard Norma Jean. And I'm like, the country singer. And they're, they, you know, they started laughing at me. And then like, you know, I heard Bless the Martyr, Kiss the Child. Cameron even showed me Ludacris, like their old stuff. And then from there, I found like you know, uh, change, the changing of times. You know, the under good Earth. the good under oath record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And like that was, I was like, dude, what the fuck is going on? And then like, it all came full circle, and like I started hearing about bands like Haste today, mm -hmm. and like all like that, the metal or post hardcore kind of like yeah. leading genres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, dude, this is sick. Like, there's a whole world of this. You know what I mean? And then, um, you know, and then I. I, I kind of, after the, you know, at the end of high school, I was really gravitating towards like, I liked some of like the crazy shit. Like I love the number 12 look like you, nuclear set, nuclear, like the fucking, all three Ed Keen oh, records are amazing. You froze up for a sec. Oh, am I good? Yeah, you're good now. Here, let me disconnect my phone from the Wi-Fi. There we go. Um, you know, like all three Ed Gein records are fucking amazing. Like I got into number 12. Um, all the grand shit, yeah. Yeah, like that, dude. Like, and then I met the C next Tuesday guys. Like, I booked them, and then like they had three dates of their tour fell through. So like, we literally just bought four four boxes of wine, and they just stayed with me for like five days until their next weekend of shows. And like those dudes showed me what that sounds terrible. It was great, dude. Those dudes showed me like um, what was that band with a robot in the name? 
like it was like a super long band name. They were from the East Coast. They were like super grindy. Not I don't remember, but like there was like, and then like there was that. So then I got into that stuff. You know what I mean? And like through the eyes of the dead, that bloodlust record is like the perfect blend of like metalcore and technical death metal to me. Like nothing will ever transcend the way that record made me feel. Was that the well, Nate Johnson record? No, Bloodlust is is the Blood first, first full length. Okay, the first full length. So they had the EP and that that blew them up, and then they had the first full length that has two inches from the, from a main artery on it. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that record. And so like at that point, because like I hadn't, I had really strayed away from death metal. I was like, I don't like a lot of this. And then I heard that, and I was like, oh shit. And so like that got me into more of that stuff. And then, um, you know, I, I I'm sure you're gonna ask me about. You know, I used to do the small record label that we, that, you know, you your old band was basically yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so I met a guy named Matt Driscoll, who was the guy that did Process Records with me. And he came from this world where it did like, it was like raw punk bands. So like stuff that wasn't as heavy as Converge, but the same energy and feel. But it also dabbled with like The Locust and like uh, Blood Brothers and like shit like that. Like that right. whole weird... It, it was offensive at that time to call it post hardcore scene. Yeah, it was like indie like, rock, like indie dance, screen, indie rock, screamo. indie screamo punk. Yeah, like yeah, screamo yeah. punk was like yeah. it, it. just kind of floats in that realm. And he did SAF records, which had like um, a bunch of like those types of bands that I was. It that was not my thing, really, to be perfectly honest with you. And so, you know, I had met him. Um, he was working at, at the pizza place I was working at, and you know, we had already been friends with the arsonist guys, or I had already been friends. This was after I started doing shows. And then we started that, you know what I mean? And then now I'm just kind of stubborn and I only listen to old Mohor. I don't really listen to that much new stuff. I jam all the new shit. I'm trying to, trying to stay young. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I, I get into a few of the new bands, but. So you talked about Matt meeting Matt and, uh, and process mm-hmm. was, this is like, I guess, like the 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 chicken or the egg moment. Did you were you promoting shows before you started a label? Was yes. the label like first thing out the gate? Okay, so you no, started so, promoting shows. So I was doing shows. You know, um, how did you how did you get into that? Like, what started you promoting shows? Well, I, I I used to drink a lot, as you know, so I don't remember everything perfectly. Um, but like basically right out of high school, I just got into this type of music. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, down in Salinas, there was a place called Jim Dandies that closed down the year I graduated from high school. Uh, Jim Dandies was like, when you were a metalcore band, you came to Salinas, you played Jim Dandies, and then you played the pound in SF. Like that was the routine. So okay. like, you know how a lot of bands nowadays, they play Santa Cruz and then they go to Sacramento. Mm-hmm. It was like the other way around where they would play our, our hood and then they would go play the city and then maybe they would play sack. Okay. So, you know, and that's why we ended up with bands like faith 13, Moria, no truce. I can go on and on about the bands that have come out from the eight three one. You know yeah, what I mean? I've always had love for the Bay bands for sure. Yeah, exactly. So like, so that, that scene had been popping. The person that owned Jim Dandy sold it. Um, there was a guy doing hardcore, like real hardcore shows, um, and that wasn't really my, my shtick at the time. Like I wasn't really about like, until, you know, until wake the dead came out, I didn't give a shit about most of that type of music. Like right, I, right. I just specifically was like a metalcore dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, but so he, so that was, his name was Spencer. We all call him the Godfather out here, or at least I call him that. He taught me a lot about being a promoter. So he did that. And then there was this, there was like this like little 
small company doing doing small metalcore shows that we were all about and then like that dude um got his you know he knocked up his lady and they moved somewhere out in the middle of fucking nowhere because it was easy to buy a house right. to raise their kid and then like there was just it was just that was it nobody was doing metalcore shows so like pat from arsonist was like oh we, we could just do this ourselves like let's do it um so like we you know he it was like his idea i kind of ran with it we met this guy named paul sanchez um, was, Ar- was arsonist already a band at this time the i want to say i started doing shows right around the time they started started okay okay so what was the guy it's, Paul? It's, it's a little fuzzy on that okay. point in, time, in my brain sorry a long but time ago yeah I, met, yeah I met this guy paul sanchez he did graphic design for for a bunch of dudes. He'd grown up with like Remy and like some of the some of the other arsonists. He was like the ones that I didn't go to school with. Right. So like he was like, let's let's throw a show. So we did it. We threw a huge fucking Halloween bash. Pat helped us because he knew a few of the local bands. Um, you know what I mean? And like mm-hmm. you know his his best friend Johnny at the time. Like they they were like of the young people in Santa Cruz. They were kind of who like found metalcore first and showed mm-hmm. it to the rest of us. Basically, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like I found my own way, and then I met these guys after the fact. Right, if that okay. makes any sense, because yeah. Pat and I did go to high school together, um, and so Paul's like, "Let's do this." I was like, "Sick, let's do it." We set up a Halloween show. We did it. We set up a few more things, and then it just kind of tur- it just kind of kind of just just cascaded. You know, Paul eventually had to leave the company. He kind of he honestly kind of left me high and dry. And then I I was like, "Well, you know what? I like doing this. Like, let's see how I do on my own." I did it. Um, I had a lot of a lot of people that helped along the way. You know, Pat's little brother was part of my team. Um, you know, that his name's Ethan. I had Lucy, Jose, a couple other people I'm not going to mention because some of them stole from me and are douchebags. But um, you know, I just stuck with it and I kept going. And like, I liked that I was able to take bands and people from my scene and like they were able to play shows to hundreds of people and like have a real shot and like bring bands through our area that would normally maybe skip it over. You know, because um, like Numskull Productions, I'm sure you've played shows for them. Like they, you know, Eddie's been doing it for almost 30 years now. Mm-hmm. But so all the old bands always play for him. So bands still come to Santa Cruz. You know, like the Avenged Sevenfolds and what that and and bands like that would come here. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but like for for young and up and coming bands, it was tight. So I like did that, and like I've always prided myself on like bringing bands through and giving our local bands opportunities they didn't have. You know what I mean? So then when um, Matt approached me with the process idea, I was like, you know, it gives me a chance to like expand and learn some stuff in the music business. And, you know, I was like, I'm liking what I'm doing. I don't know that much. I was like, but this will give me a continued chance to give more bands that I find that are getting overlooked in their scenes an opportunity. And that's the whole reason we started the process. So what with process, explain kind of like give, give me a give me like a rundown of how that started so you started process what was the like who was the first band you signed arsonist and that was the what was the name of that record with the shark hits from the bow hits from the bow. that was the first album then yeah so like so we did so we did that record and then um we wanted to get like i was i wanted it to be a proud like 831 which is our area code thing mm-hmm. and so i had become friends with drew who used to do merch for moria and his cousin taylor is the singer for moria Mm -hmm. and 
so I met with them and we sat that, that them down and then we put out their album, No Light Ahead. Uh, yeah, I remember, and that was I the, that one. Yeah, that was the second release we did. Um, and so like it just kind of started around everything, like me growing up with artists was kind of like the catalyst for all this. Like obviously, right. you know, that that um, you know that girl that showed me Poison the Well, like she really set me on the track. And then I started doing shows. And like, you know, I graduated in 2004. We started doing shows that year. And then process came along like 2005. Because 2000, that would make sense. Because I think in 2006 is when yeah. uh, I toured with Lynch and we were supposed to sign with you guys. Yeah, because we only was... did process for like two or three years. It didn't last very long. You know what I, I mean? Okay. And yeah, when Lynch so... apart, it didn't seem like you did. I don't think you put out much else after that. No, no. Well, so like we were a subsidiary of saf records matt's other mm -hmm. label he had a financial benefactor right and they are the ones that had acquired the deal with sony red which is now sony the orchard the distribution right and so basically he pulled out and wasn't funding our parent label right and so sony basically was like we're just taking everything you own that's kind of what happened with blackheart the, yes exactly kind of got yanked yeah so basically like even though we weren't so like we had funded process ourselves. Well, I got a loan from my dad mm -hmm. and one of his business partners, which was paid back. And, you know, we did for, for me, not knowing anything about being running a fucking record label. We did well, you know, we, we broke even on it. So actually I think and we did better. We did better. Pretty, than that, it was pretty reputable too. I mean, cause even before, even before I knew you personally, I knew of process records. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to do, I've always been a big on like branding and just like, just you know, shameless self promotion has like always been my thing. You know what yeah. I mean? Like to the point where I'm cheesy about it, and I know it. My friends know it. People make fun of me for it. I don't care because it's because it works. You don't forget. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's like it, it even even to this day, like people people some people I see people from you know that I haven't seen in five ten years, and they're like, "You still doing the music stuff?" You know, like they don't know the pinup name per se or right. the artistic name, or they don't remember the process name. But they remember that I fucking have put myself out there yeah. and promoted that shit so heavily that, that it is what it is, you know? It was like the little, the little robot logo, whatever it was, thing, too. Yeah, we had, it was, this logo? It's like a little yes, robot yes, or something. Yes, we started with some cheesy, like, skull with a gear, and then we switched to the robot thing. Yeah, um, I remember the robot thing. I, uh, yeah. I, was a, I was a big Moria fanboy. That shit was tough, so. Yeah, that like shit. That. That was I, I was ref, I always called them mosh metal, you know, like yeah. them and hate breed. That those two bands just get me going. Oh, yeah, but um, sure. and then now you know Taylor's one, like basically my best friend, so it's it's great, you know what I mean. So obviously I, I, I gained a lot of personally and and growth wise from process. But so yeah, so we put out the first Arsenal record, the Moria record. Um, we put out uh, there was a local band called Hiro Hiroshima. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, Travis and, and Reese and all those guys. I love those dudes. We put out their music. We were talking to a few of the other like local bands before it folded. We were going to do, you know, sub, sub full bunch of beauty with you guys. Um, you know, the last thing we did before we folded. So Arsonist got signed to Century Media mm -hmm. and they did the Game of Life record. Um, and and then Molotov fucked up and signed with Metal Blade instead of Century. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. All right. So I mean, I wasn't gonna bring that up because I know I do I do know that that happened, but um, yeah. So so that happened, and then basically they did they did 
that album and then I don't remember if it, it was that album and then Portals and then Century was like we want to re-release hits from the bow or if it was they wanted to do hits from the bow re-release after game because Game of Life did really fucking well. Yeah, yeah, it did. So um, basically, the deal we made was okay, you know, you give us basically like they paid off, they paid us what was left on hits from the bow, which was like I think like two grand, dude. Like they gave us two grand, and then the deal was okay, we get the rights to vinyl. So we printed 500 of those double hits from the bow, the game of life vinyls. Mm-hmm. And like, that was like unheard of. Like yeah. now, now that I know how the music industry works, looking back since media giving us the okay to print vinyls of their product, like that's insane. Yeah. You know, yeah. like Steve Joe, who was the guy over there, who's probably who you said no to like um, he's at prosthetic now. And he's a hands down, one of my favorite people in the music industry. He's always up front. Yeah. He, like, he's no bullshit. You know, like he's very, very mild mannered. Like he, he's a good dude. And they're like, definitely good peoples. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so we worked that out. And like now that I, now knowing what I know now about the industry, I'm like, dude, like we did some cool shit to come out of nowhere. You know, I'm like, I always talk about how like love for the Bay and love for my scene. And like, you remember how it used to be back in the day. It was like in California, everybody thought nothing mattered outside of Sacramento and LA. Right. You know what I mean? And I feel like not, it's not, and I know I'm not, by no means am I taking full credit for this, but like I was a part of the puzzle that like helped put the Bay area on the map. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there was some bands, there was some promoters, there was industry there that was always we always just did our own thing, made our own way, mm-hmm. you know? And then now everybody plays Santa Cruz again, because right. it's like, a, it's a hotbed for, you know, Santa Cruz, San Jose, you know, we have Gulch, Hints of God, No Right, Drain, you know, all those bands are all like fucking huge and popping right now. You know what I mean? You know, all the spite dudes are from the Bay area. You know what I mean? And like, they're obviously fucking crushing it and making waves, you know, like uh, eighth year has been going at it for a couple, for a couple years now. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Their song comes out at the end of the month. Oh, and you're on it. Look at that. How about that? <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I don't so know if you're to drop that or not. <laughs> I, I don't care. I can do whatever I want. It's, it's my show, technically. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so Chicken or the Egg uh, shows came first. Everything that's happened to me in my professional career, quote unquote. All came from me being a promoter. And then. And then. And then. So we did the chicken and the egg thing. So you definitely started promoting before you started running the label. But when the label dissolved, what was like, obviously, it seems like the next evolutionary step for you to be like managing bands, advising bands, you know, pinup management. Can you talk about like how that started so there's actually a big yeah you you always had like the knowledge of the music industry you've always had these connections um a large network of people like you were explaining earlier but yeah i know that there was a big gap but pinup so pinup started when you started pinup and you started booking shows yeah what made you want to kind of start get getting back into that part of the industry with managing bands so okay so when I first started doing shows, it actually wasn't called Pinup. It was called Arsenic Productions. 
Mm. I couldn't think of anything else to name it. I was best friends with Arsonist dude, so I said, fuck it, why not? You know what I mean? Um, and then I met Andrew, who founded Penup, and then we merged companies um, in like 2008, I believe, or nine. But um, yeah, so process disbanded basically in like, I want to say probably like 2007. Mm -hmm. um, the latest. I was really up upset because like we had definitely like almost gotten too big for our britches. Like, like, like you said, we were doing well. I really struggled at that point in time. Like I was doing, going to school part-time, working full-time, doing shows and trying to do the label. So like yeah. I kind of hit a wall. You didn't so have a lot of room for growth and expansion because you were so well, yeah. And process growth. wasn't making enough money to like bring in other people to help us. But like you said, we had that reputation. We had done good things. But then, and then this thing comes in where they're like, uh, "Oh, sorry, we're taking all your assets because your parent company owes us money." Basic is basically what happened. Like, and so I was actually pretty angry about it. It wasn't anyone's fault. It wasn't Matt's fault. It wasn't my fault. Like, we just got in bed with the wrong person. Basically, I guess is the best way to say that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so. Um, I had already done a few tours with this guys, as you know, just because they were my best friends. You know what All I right. mean? Mm -hmm. And so I was like, you know what? I like doing this. Like, let's just keep doing it. So I was doing that. They were managed by Outer Loop Group at the time, a guy named Derek Brewer. Um, I was like, you know, I'll just keep touring with the guys and just do that and just kind of fucking, I was pissed. I was angry. I spent a lot of time just on the road drinking and hanging out with my friends. You know, I still booked the shows when we were home. Uh, I had a team of people that ran them when I was gone. You know, um, I spent about four years on the road doing that um, with doing shows in between. You know what I mean? Because, like, at first, Arsonist wasn't toying, like, super crazy, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, we'd be home for, like, two or three months. So I'd book a bunch of shows. And then, then you know, it was cool because, like, you know how you, you've been in the industry long enough. Like, you know a lot of it is, like, your team is, like, this is your itinerary. This is what you're doing. This is where you're going. You know what I mean? Back then, it was like we like the thing I loved about Arsonist is they were like, we're never all going to just wear all black on stage. We're always going right. to be our fucking selves and yeah. do things the way we want. Like they never they never just bent over and conformed to what the industry wanted, as you mm -hmm. can tell from their fucking music, because right. their music was fucking insane and weird. And they yeah. were insane and weird, as you know, because you partied with them. Yep. You know, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like they one thing that was really cool was like the loyalty aspect of even when I stopped touring with them. They when they played Santa Cruz, they played for me. You know, they played a pinup or an arsenic show. You know, mm -hmm. that's just period. It's it's how it happened. You know what I mean? And so even when I toured with them, like if oh we're gone for a month, okay, the last show of tour will just be the hometown show. Right. Or if it was like we hit Santa Cruz halfway through through home through the tour, I'll just then I'll just stay home and then run whatever shows I have coming up. So I was able to make it work. So I did that, and then we started doing, you know, I merged with Pinup, started doing mm -hmm. stuff in San Jose. There was a local band from up there called This Son of Yours that I thought just had, like, so much promise, and they were just these, like, dopey, young, talented kids. And, like, they, but they knew nothing. They are like, they didn't know how to network. They all were, like, pretty awkward and introverted, except for, like, one of them. And like, but their music, like, they were, like, the local band that is, like, nobody really knew who the kids were, because they all went to, like, the, a different high school than most of the rest of the San Jose scene. And then like, I saw them on this random, like we put them on this random show and we were like, yo, this band sounds great for being a bunch of like 17 year olds. You know what I mean? 
um, basically they asked me to help them. So I helped them a little bit. Um, and then, um, Vince, I really liked helping them. I really liked what I was doing. And then Vince from dear life, um, you know, they're, they're the dudes that do loud, obnoxious. Now Vince works for violent gentlemen now, actually, but, uh, he hit me up and he's like, I want to do this thing called the oversight movement. And our whole, our whole logo was overseeing the overlooked. That was our whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so we did like, we just managed a few bands. Um, that lasted for like two years. And then we just kind of, you know, Vince and I are still friends, but like dear life, you know, lost their singer, you know, their, their label deal got a little wonky with the losing their singer and like thing, things just kind of got weird. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so we fell out of that. Um, and then I had, but I, I kept helping local bands over the years, like just, you know, bands that I thought had talent or that I became really close with. Like I would just hit up other promoters every once in a while and do some of that. You know, I maintained my relationship with Steve uh, over at Century and Derek over at, you know, he, well, now he's at Shelter Music Group, but, you know, he's hopped around. The people I had met from touring, I did my best to stay in contact with um, because there were times that definitely helped me out as a promoter because, oh, yeah. you know, I don't sign contracts. I don't do deposits. I don't do all that like legal back end nonsense. And a lot of agents don't want to work with me because of it. But then people are like, no, dude, like this guy will get you the, you know, he'll pay your bands. It'll probably be the best show in the area. You know, like, like you should definitely go to him over some new Jack promoter that just has a lot of money because you want, you know, you want real artistic value to what you're doing. You know, when you want to, when you send, when I send my bands to play with a promoter, I want to know the promoter's going to promote. He's going to feed them. He's going to hold up his end of the bargain, even if he's not paying deposits and all that shit. And you You also want to make sure that they're playing to people and they're getting that exposure. I mean, paycheck isn't what matters. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, that's the problem with the music industry nowadays. It's like, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I get into literal arguments and email threads with, with agents where I'm like, okay, don't sell me the show because I won't give you the extra 500 bucks. But when your show does half your expected attendance and the bands are pissed because you had a shit turnout because you didn't sell to me, like that's your problem, not mine. Mm -hmm. And you know, should I talk to people like that? No. But after 15 years, do I care? No. No. (laughs) You know? Uh, Mm -hmm. And then so, so the, and then the eighth year dudes were like, I really love their fucking music. Like that Oblivion song they put out, like mm-hmm. just blew up on YouTube and all this stuff. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to like actually help this band out. So I just managed them. Just, just did it on my own. And then um, Josh Espinosa, who used to play in like the wrath and fate 13 um, called me and he's like, Hey, listen, he's like, I know all these people. Um, you know, he's like, I, you know, I have so many connections and like, you know, you know, Ken from Unearth is like a, a rep at Fishman, um, pick you know guitar pickups, mm-hmm. you know like there's so many people from the bands that we looked up to as kids that used to tour a lot that are now in prominent positions in the industry. Josh mm-hmm. I was like, I know all these people. Like, let me help you. Like, I want I want to work together. Like, let me see if I can come in. Like, you know, I, he's like, I know how to tour on the road. I've done a lot of that. I can be I can be a good asset. I think mm-hmm. to you. So he came in and like I was doing a, a lot of the management stuff. He was doing a lot of the like bringing his connections, bringing his tour experience, you know, and then being in a band for almost 10 years, multiple bands, I should say, sorry. And then like, but he was good with like, Hey, you know, like, you know, one of the biggest things that helps young bands is endorsements because it helps them look more professional on paper to the rest of the industry. They save money on gear. You know, you've been a touring musician, you know, gear upkeep and van upkeep are the two most expensive, ridiculous expenses. 
you know, because the merch kind of pays itself off and pays for itself. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So um, he hit me up and we had Aether. We, we worked with this local like band called Demon and Me. Um, they're no longer on the roster, but we're still close friends. You know, I snagged Extortionist um, and a few other bands that aren't with us anymore. Um, and then, you know, we met the Distinguisher dudes who are from Vegas, as you know. Yeah. And then it's just been kind of like a, you know, you know, and then, you know, like, and then uh, I was I was already managing two of the dudes in Spite were in a, a band before Spite. And I was already, I had already managed them a little bit and helped them. So when they formed Spite, they sent me the music. I was like, you know, this is sick. Um, let me, let me see. This was like right when Stay Sick started. You know what I mean? And so I was like, listen, the, you know, I did a couple tours with Franz. You know, I know um, his business partner at the label really well. You know, he was a kind of a mentor of mine growing up. Like, let me send it out. And like, I sent, I sent that over and they loved it. They put it out. You know what was I mean? It, Milford? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so like I sent I sent it to him and Franz, they loved it, you know. Um, and then like you know, uh, we got eighth year signed to Tragic Hero, and then like you know, we just this, these things started building. And so my whole point with it was like I know, like you know, like I said, there's a deep seedy shitty side to the music industry, yes. and a lot of people are like, oh, Joel's tired of being a promoter. He's just like doing a cash grab to be it to be an artist manager, and like I was like but I want to help, you know, I've always wanted to fucking help bands. Like, look, yeah. you, I mean, you've seen Distinguisher, you know, that it's hard to, to break out of Vegas for sure. You know what I mean? And then like, on top of that, like there's, I know there's a lot of like bullshit, like cutthroat politics in Vegas. Yes, you know yeah. what I mean? Well, I've seen has that. I shouldn't say just in Vegas. Cause I, you know, I love the Have Vegas seen, music scene. Yeah, it's, yeah. Been, it's been my like, you know, other home for a long time, mm -hmm. you know, like my, my three music scene homes are here, Vegas and New Mexico, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I know so many friends in all of those scenes that I, and I, I love those places, but, um, so that's always been my thing is like finding these smaller bands that I think can make it and help bring them up. I like, I've never really tried to swing for the fences and go pick up a band that's already established because I'm still learning, you know, I'm still, I'm still, yeah. it's only been four years, you know, and so, especially like with, it would be terrible for the music industry if somebody like you with the knowledge that you have the experience that you have etc were to just like oh joel's tired of booking shows he's just gonna bow out when you can do so much good and you can actually use your network your connections your knowledge to help bands do what they want to do yeah i've done that i'm not a band manager but i've helped tons of people in bands i'm a, I'll, i'm gonna um name drop johnny crowder um i helped him get his band up and running like i was i was giving him advice i was essentially not managing but just advising him on or, the, or, or the other band uh the band before which is called dark sermon but i think before that it was called um uh, uh damn i'm drawing a blank in reference wow. to a sinking ship and so i told him i was like hey uh, first things first, change your band's name. Band's name. <laughs> change it to Dark Sermon. Um, you know, I actually gave... remember that because I, I I found out who that band was from you. Yeah, they were fucking sick. Like, yeah. I if Johnny watches this, no disrespect, I much prefer Dark Sermon to Prison. But yeah, that's just me. Yeah, so I mean, like, I have knowledge and experience and understanding, and I wasn't getting paid for that. I've helped out numerous other people too with advice and and whatnot, and it 
like you said, there's a dark side to the music industry. And then there are people that are trying to use their knowledge and experience and skills to drive it. And I feel like we definitely need more people like that. And it's, it's a respectable business if you're doing it right. And it's like you said, not just a cash grab. Yeah. And people get so wrapped up in the bullshit. Like, like I have a lot of people that think like, I, I literally cannot tell you how many times I've heard the phrase like, Oh yeah, he steals from local bands. You know what I mean? But it's like, people don't realize like what it takes to have a team of 20 people. Most of them even volunteer. Like there's times I'll go drive a six hour round trip to work a show and not make a dime. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's because I give a shit about what I'm doing. Like I do my best to pay the locals, but it's like, dude, if I have to pay bands $2,000 to come through and play in our, in our fucking out of the way C market scene, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And then only a hundred people show up like, okay, sometimes, sometimes I can't pay the local. Yeah. Or sometimes I can't pay myself or sometimes I can't pay the five people that came and volunteered their time to make sure the show went off without a hitch. Mm-hmm. And that sucks. But like, that's not why we do it. And that's not what music should be about, you know? And it's like, even to this, to this day, like I've had a few bands, you know, like, um, you know, uh, Skylar from words like Aztecs, he's hit me up a few times that I've just given him advice on some of his music. You know, my buddy, uh, Justin from out here in San Jose, you know, he used to play in a bunch of OG metalcore bands way back then. him and I go almost as far back as you and I go, he's in a new band now that like, I don't talk to anybody in his band. I'm pretty sure some of his band doesn't even like me, you right. know what I mean? And, but like, I don't care. He's like, I love ESP. And, and I know that he's been playing ESP. So I used to book his old metalcore band 12 fucking years ago. Yeah. So I hit up my contact at ESP, like, hey, like, I don't represent this band, but, like, can you check them out? Like, this is a hardworking kid. Like, I know sometimes you guys, like, like to endorse people that deserve it, regardless of, like, their hype, because, like, there are some good people in the music industry, like you said. Yeah. You know, and, like, I, I do stuff like that. You know, I, I hate the word pro bono, but I, I've, I've done it for a lot of bands. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I'll send people connections and resources. I'll introduce people, like, and, you know, if 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 the small people in the music industry win and then they become the big people, then it's going to trickle down and it's going to it's going to yes. push out the cycle of bullshit. Yes. You know what I mean? Because like right now in the metalcore scene, like eighty percent of the power is is in like three different teams' hands, and I think that right. that sucks because yeah. there's plenty of other up and coming. Not that those people are bad people or anything like that. They're not, but it's just like, you know at the same time they're also trying to make money and pay their bills and make sure their artists are paid so that there's not enough there's not enough seats at the table for everybody and so yeah. all these younger bands that are coming up unless you know the right people it no it's almost like it, it no longer matters who your team is yeah it hurts the smaller guys for yeah. sure so so if you had like i think I, I threw out a little bit of advice that i had learned on the last video if you had one bit of advice for bands that are trying to get some more exposure, trying to get out of their local scene, trying to start touring and like realizing their dream. Um, what would that be? Like, what, what, what's the main, what's the big thing? Um, you know, I is think it, is it marketing, social media stuff. Do you think it's networking well, well, so pay to get a manager? There's like a, there's like a balance. Like I'm old school. So I believe in the term, I believe in the time where if you, are not supported at home as a band, you should not be touring. Like that's that's the people that mentored me. That's how I was taught. And there are some bands that are big now that that are having recessions, but they used to, but when they first blew up, they were like internet huge. But like they would go play at home and everybody wanted to beat them up or hate them because they had egos and shit like that. And so then you 
Everybody then, hated us. I guess. Oh, whatever. I'm when, I joined the band. <laughs> when I joined the band, it was cool. Well, whatever. I mean, shit happens, you know, yeah. like, you know, like I'm not going to name drop which band I'm talking about because I love all those dudes now. And we, we're actually really pretty close with most of them. But like, you know, I've seen it happen. And like, yeah. you know, my biggest piece of advice would be like, do, do the, do the networking, like go to shows. There is nothing, there is no shame in the check out my three song demo that I burned in my house game. Or if you want to be a little bit more snazzy, you know, download cards cost like 56 cents to make, mm -hmm. make the download card, whether it's a code on iTunes, the scannable QR codes, even though nobody that's young uses those, you know, there's, there's ways where you can just, Hey, go check this out. Even if it's a business card with just like uh, an EPK link on the back, you know what I mean? That's, that has like a, just a, a simple, like about you list of big shows you've played logo live shot. And like, here's three songs to check out. Like, do that, but like, give it to everybody. Give it to the promoters. Give it to the uh, the bands, the other local bands. Give it to the people that come to the shows. Like, mm -hmm. be a part of your scene because the thing is, is like, people like me, like I look at Twitter. That's the first thing that happens when a band hits me at. Like, I'll search the band's name on Twitter, and if like people are interacting with them and talking about them, and there's mostly supportive things from their local scene, but I feel like they're doing things right, mm -hmm. you know. But if you're like uh, personally, you know, most of the bands I work with don't come from the, like, we just want to get big playing music. So this is what we're doing and we don't want to do any of the work. We just want to start touring, you know, because as a promoter and as a manager, I don't want to do work for a band that doesn't want to work for themselves. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. you know, eighth year, you know, they're not touring as much anymore, but like they're a band that has had great success in a national level and a local level because they they those dudes have never stopped working hard right. you know josh has hands down been one of the top five best drummers i know the whole time i've known him he's never he, that's never decreased you know they've had a lot of lineup changes over the years you know all of them have excelled in their craft their 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 sound has changed i mean good but like i mean we got them you know they've been on three different labels now you know what i mean oh i'm sorry I'm sorry two different labels now you know like they were on Tragic Hero and now they're on Stay Sick. And like, mm -hmm. even when I first got them signed to Stay Sick, it was like, they were, I was like, hey, I have this this show coming. Like, oh, you guys want to play that Kiss Strange show? Okay. Like, can, will you sell tickets? Because I have to, I'm making the other local band sell tickets and that's just fair. Right. You know? And they, you know, you know, a lot of people have always been like, oh, well, like that band got everything they wanted because Joel and Garrett and Josh were best friends. And it's like, yeah, we are best friends. But Garrett, like, I mean, dude, that kid, you know, Garrett and Josh, like them collectively, there's they I forget what show it was. They sold 180 pre-sale tickets to a show. I gave them 30. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they just kept asking me for more. Like just do just do the work. Like don't think that anybody owes you anything. Like go out, network and and build your build a real support system for your band. Yeah. That would be that would be my my number one piece of advice is so just like networking for sure. Is, yeah, just just like networking. One like I I'm a huge fanboy of The Rock, mm. you know Dwayne The Rock Johnson, our future president. Yeah. You yeah, know, me too. and his, you know one of his mantras is do the work. That's like what he says. Yeah. You know, you know, or rinse do, or you know what I mean. But like do the work. Like nobody gets anywhere without trying. Yeah, this you know bread I mean? isn't going to get itself. You know exactly. You know. The bread doesn't put itself in the oven and rot and turn and turn it turn the oven on, you know, mm -hmm. like. Well, I mean, 
That's helpful for me. I think that I think that networking is super important. One thing that I kind of realized recently too is that especially because we're getting old and you start reminiscing on the older times you play some old music and someone was like, wasn't that on the victory Records sampler or wasn't that on the, and you don't realize how many people actually listen to these little demo discs, mm-hmm. you know, do the work, grind it out. Like you were saying with the QR codes, put a QR code on a demo, hand out your demos, boom, 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 whatever you got to do. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's like, if you look at it and when we grew up in the MySpace days, it was super easy to like DM somebody. Oh, yo, I met you at the show. Like I'm in a new band, like boom, check out my music. You know what I mean? Like that's, I mean, I still find bands to this, to this day that way. Like, you know, we have a generic contact email at, at for both pent-up companies, for both branches, you know? And like, sometimes people just send in music and I'm like, dude, like I've never heard this fucking band, but this shit is great. Thank you for sending yeah. this in. I put them on a show, meet the dudes. They're, you know, they're usually great kids. And like, it's, it's tight, you know, but take the chance, do the work, you know what I mean? And network, you know, whether it's digitally or in person. Because yeah. things are different now. It's not as the scene is not what it used to be. And like, definitely don't be afraid to ask, ask for, ask, ask for a spot on a show or ask, you know, ask for help, ask whatever it is, but ask. Yeah. I mean, as a promoter, ask for it. yeah, as a promoter, if a band came up to me and was like, what do I need to do to play a pinup show? Or what do I need to do? Like the next time you book Molotov solution, how can my band open that show? Mm-hmm. I'll tell anybody, I'll answer that question to anybody. You know, I'll give anybody that advice. So you're right. Don't be afraid to ask. And if the person, if you're asking someone that question and they won't give you an answer, you probably don't want to work with them because they're probably a fucking dick. Yep. Yep. Cool. Well, that's all I got. Are you ahead? We're getting close to an hour. <laughs> oh, shit. We are. Fuck, I told you I talked too much, dude. Yeah, I told dude. you. Yep. Um, well, was, was there any outro questions you want to ask me or anything like that? I don't know. I mean, uh, the color thing, you know, we talked about the color <laughs> oh, thing. Um, maybe let's see what, uh, what's your, what's your favorite food? Oh man. Um, well, as a chubby man, that's really hard to break down. Like if it's, we're talking breakfast, if it's it, no, we're, we're talking, if you could only eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? One thing for the rest of my life. <laughs> One thing for the rest of my life. One thing for the rest of your life. I had all you can eat sushi last night. Remember we talked about sushi? I had all you can eat sushi last night. I felt like a kid in Disneyland. So what's yours? Come on. What's your sushi? That's so tough, man. Sushi's kind of cheating because there's a lot of stuff that it encompasses. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know. Fuck, that's tough, dude. <laughs> you know, I, I feel I'm gonna go with with burgers. Okay. A good, like because you can have a breakfast burger or a lunch burger or a dinner burger. All right, settle the debate then. In and out or what a burger? Okay. I can't settle. That, that's a whole other episode, dude. Like. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, overall, in and out. Okay. But. You also, everybody, I feel like when people compare in and out to everywhere else, it's inappropriate because in and out is a fucking place that has five things on the menu. Yeah. That's it. You, you, you literally like, you know, because a Whataburger, I'm going to tell you to go get the French fries with a tub of their homemade honey mustard, put dip the fries on the honey mustard and then get a fucking, you know, chicken strip sandwich on Texas toast. Okay. How are you going to compare a chicken strip barbecue 
sandwich on buttery Texas toast to a cheeseburger. You, you can't. And if you think you can, you're not a fat person. So, you know what I mean? Like, it depends. Like, I get more excited for Whataburger because I don't get it, though. You know what I mean? A yeah, lot. yeah. But, yeah. like, I'm also a side person. I'm a sucker for sides and sauces. And in that regard, Whataburger wins because yeah. their, their French fries are, are perfect. In and out does not have consistency with their French fries, which is a problem. But like, I'm a, I'm a sauce person, dude. Whataburger, I like, I know a lot of people go honey mustard and like wrinkle their nose. Go to Whataburger, ask for a side of honey mustard, and dip the fucking French fries in. And you'll think <laughs> also, the okay. fact that Whataburger comes to you with that little tray and it's like, what side do you want? Yeah. Can, it's like they're like Amazon Prime as a fast food place. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, okay. One more question. Okay. Okay. And then there may or may not be a bonus question at the end of it. Can you rank for me? Oh no. The Star Wars trilogies from worst to best. I'll do the whole movies for you. I just want the trilogies. Give me the trilogies. Oh, okay. Original trilogy, new trilogy. Wait, original trilogy is the worst? Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. The best. Sorry. So, oh, you want worst? Okay, so starting at the worst. The worst. Prequel. Fuck, dude, this is so hard. The prequels (laughs) are the worst. Okay. The the new ones are in the middle, and the OGs are the best. Okay. Bonus question. Oh, hold on, hold on. I have to, I have to, I have to detail that answer. But the prequels being the worst movies are the most important movies. Mm-hmm. And the most hated Star Wars movie of all time is Episode Two, but that is the most important Star Wars movie in all nine films. Because if you don't get Anakin secretly marrying Padme and them ha- getting pregnant, if if that does not happen, you don't get the rest of the Skywalker saga. You don't get Darth Vader. You don't get the Emperor being able to trick Anakin into becoming a Sith to save Padme. Yeah, I think our grandkids are going to kiss one day. I think so. Should we kiss? <laughs> okay, bonus question. Favorite Star Wars movie? My favorite actually is Rogue One. Rogue One, okay. Wow. Dude, like, like, there's very few movies. I mean, think about it. You know, they had to make a movie in an, really exist, in an existing universe, attach you to characters that then they kill off. Right. Like, dude, like, the only time. Like like the feeling of happiness at, at, when they and they're at the medal ceremony on Yavin Four at the end of A New Hope, great. You know the the Va- you know Vader going good again and saving Luke from the Emperor is like incredible. Like the feeling of them winning, that's like a happy, joyous occasion. But it's not like emotionally mm-hmm. deep. Like I fucking cried the first time I watched the Rogue One at the end when they're just yeah, sitting there yeah. holding each other as the planet's exploding. Like yeah. what? The fuck? And like you have never met those characters before, and you never see them again. Yep. My only complaint with that movie is that there's too many unanswered questions. Well, you get to see Vader fucking kick ass at the end too, yes. so that's pretty cool. And 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 they actually, my favorite thing about Rogue One is they reveal something in there that's only ever been revealed in the books. So people that only watch the movies don't realize the depth of the Sith and the evilness. Mm-hmm. You know, the kyber crystals that the Jedi used to make their lightsabers are the same crystals that power the Death Star. Oh, yeah. I've been a Star Wars fan since I could fucking pee standing up. And I didn't realize that until Rogue One came out. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and this bookshelf behind me, 
over here, fuck over here, is like, <laughs> damn camera, is like literally like the whole bottom shelf is like 80 something Star Wars novels. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay, what was the bonus? Was that the bonus question? That was the bonus question, your favorite one. That surprised me, actually, so that's cool. I like that movie a yeah. lot, too. Yeah, I mean, it's like, and I'm also one of those weirdos where, like, A New Hope is not my favorite. Empire mm-hmm. is the best movie, but Return of the Jedi is actually my favorite of the original three. I really like Revenge of the Sith. That's a fucking sick-ass movie, but anyway. I love, and I mean, honestly, episodes, you know, two and three, mm-hmm. the fight scenes are so good. Like, yeah. Dude, like, Phantom Menace, the Darth Maul fights is nuts. When I was like well, twelve, I saw that movie, blew my mind. Yeah. 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 When and the dude, when he when he fucking you know when he stabs Qui Gon, dude, you you feel that, bro. You fucking yeah, no. feel that. No. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> fucking. <laughs> yeah. All right. Dude, that's that was all it, right? right? That's that was it. it right? Hour and five minutes later. Whatever, dude. Well, Nick, thank you. I appreciate it, brother. <laughs> Everybody, thanks for watching. Uh, this has been part two. I'm thank you everybody that's checked one yeah, or all 20 episodes stuck around this long. Definitely. Yeah, if, you, if you stuck around for this whole episode, fucking thank you. Like <laughs> Nick, this idea was, was rad. Like I'm glad you wanted to do it. Like I never thought about having someone else do it. So I'm glad you were on board. It's sick. Yeah. It's, it's fucking sick. Uh, everybody make sure you check out Maltov solution. Uh, Nick, if they watch the end of this, let's give them a reward. Are you guys working on new music? Yes, we are, but it's uh, we're not very near release. So, okay, hope's not high, but it's it's coming eventually. There you go. If you stayed through an hour and five minutes and seventeen seconds, you have the confirmation there is new Maltov solution yeah. coming. It is on the way. It's gonna be cool. It's gonna be big. It's gonna be better than everything. Also, you guys should reprint that "fuck the police" shirt. We probably will, but it'll probably be different. We'll see how it goes. I showed Trina that video of you guys from Glasshouse. That, that got retweeted earlier in the week where it was like, yeah. oh, it's like everybody. And I was like, that's Nick, babe. That's so, that's sick. It's massive. That was a long time. That was 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah I know. That was fucking, that was a long time ago. Yeah. But um, yeah, anyways, Nick, thank you. Love you. Everybody that's watching. Thank you. Appreciate all of you. Be sure to click that fucking subscribe button down low. Yeah. Sure check out fucking Maltov Solution. Shit. Maltov Solution. This guy's band over here. That guy right fucking there. Um, yeah, this guy. Uh, Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Actual Cupcake Unedited.